I think what I'm looking for is this curiosity, this desire to learn and this ability to learn. So a certain flexibility of mindset, you can't do without it because the way we do things this year may be quite different from the way we do things a year from now. Hello and welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence. We're just thrilled to have back with us today Chris Mathiasen, the General Manager of Microsoft Hungary. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm a member of the faculty of Corvinus University School of Business here in beautiful Budapest, Hungary. My co-host for today is Gerge Gyuritsa. My name is Theodore Boone and I'm a member of the faculty of Corvinus University School of Business. As we begin today's episode, I would like to thank our two wonderful sponsors, the Budapest Business Journal and Unilife.hu. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again today. Hi. Chris, you are the leader of Microsoft Hungary. Before that, you were the CEO of Magyar Telecom. What do you view as the traits for being, and perhaps even more importantly, becoming a good leader? The traits that I value the most would be, first and foremost, curiosity. I think somebody who wants to lead any kind of organization, if they don't have some fundamental curiosity about what's going on, what the business is, what people are up to, curiosity that involves empathy, this is a really a fundamental trait. As to skills, I think maybe the most important thing for a leader to know is what to communicate. So clear communication skills are super important. I think in an organization like Telecom or Microsoft, neither of these are the kinds of organizations where you can sit around a table and just tell you know, A, B, and C exactly what to do in every bit of detail and they just go off and, and follow instructions. I think everything that is done in, in this kind of business context is gonna involve individual decision-making on the part of people you're leading and you need to be able to communicate clearly enough to people what you're looking for, what your vision is, why they should follow you, and you should give them that kind of clear vision so that they can make decisions on their own when everybody steps up from the staff meeting table and make those decisions on their own. So this is how I think about empowering people. You need to be able to communicate a clear vision and you need to motivate people. People really need to buy into the vision that you're selling them. That's, that's the most effective way to lead people, in my view. Just to make sure, uh, there's obviously a very important point, if I can summarize that in a way, it is not having a mushy message, giving people clarity on what your goals are, but then also giving them, at the same time, flexibility so that they can have their creativity in implementing those goals. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I think getting buy-in at the beginning is probably more important than anything else. You can have really talented, really smart people on your team, but if they don't buy in, you can communicate the vision to them clearly as well. You can have really super crisp bullet points, but if they don't actually buy into it, then you're, you're gonna be in trouble. So you really have to spend, I think, a lot of time at the beginning making sure that you get buy-in from your team and if you get that and you've communicated clearly what you're looking for and they they actually buy into it then you can make your team really very effective 
You learned history at Indiana University Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Do you see having a historian degree help you in the business career and life? I do. When when I did that, I had no idea that I had a business career in front of me. But I think a couple of things really stood out for me. One is I really learned how to write and to write clearly doing that. And I think that is the value of a liberal arts education in general, that you really learn how to communicate clearly. History in particular was fascinating for me because the people that I learned it from really taught me a lot about who you hear a story from. And that kind of critical thinking was really a wake-up call for me. So if you read a history of an event or another, you really have to understand who you're hearing the story from, and you have to think critically about why that source is telling you some things about an event and leaving some other things out. And uh, thinking critically and communication skills, these are the two things that I really valued in that. Yeah, and how did it shape your thinking? So like, how do you see the world? Well, I didn't become a historian, but it made me very, I mean, I started out pretty curious about how things work. If I joined an organization, I really wanted to find out who the people were, what was the story behind any organization I joined. I think it boils down to curiosity. I understand that after Indiana University, you studied at Columbia University. In fact, I think I know that for a fact. Yeah. And uh, could you tell us uh, more about your studies of Columbia University, which I understand also included the study of Hungarian, where you became oh, yeah. uh, fluent in Hungarian. So how, how did that happen? Well, I studied economics. I got a little bit more practical at Columbia than the history degree, because not a lot of companies were looking for historians. But I also, I had developed an interest in Eastern Europe in general. Why? I actually spent the summer of, uh, of 1968 in Prague with my family, and I left on the day that the Soviets rolled in. So I'd always had an amount of curiosity about this part of the world in general. Well, uh, Hungarian was what was on offer. <laughs> it might have been Czech for me at that time, but uh, it turned out to be Hungarian. And uh, It's funny how those things can decide your fate sometimes, and here I am today. Mm-hmm. Were there any culture shocks in Hungary for you? You mean aside from the food? Uh, I think I remember my first meal here ever. It turned out to be Chavanyu Boryu to do. That was my first meal in Hungary. And that was a shock. Which for our, our non-Hungarian uh, speakers... pickled lung of veal. Yes. Uh, a so, classic. Uh, but even before that, my Hungarian professor at Columbia introduced me to Tepertu. Uh, which for Americans, at least Americans in the 80s, that's also quite a shock. So to be on a little bit more on the serious side, I actually now love most Hungarian cuisine. You know, I didn't really experience a culture shock here. Of course, there are differences between Americans and Hungarians. What was the greatest difference between the American and Hungarian work experience? I think my experience before coming to Hungary was of a more participatory management style. So the The first teams that I had to manage here in Hungary, their experience told them, ah, well, if there's a guy leading us, he should just tell us what to do in in a lot of detail. He should tell me exactly what I need to do. And my training or my experience prior to that was more like asking people, okay, so what do you think? What do you think we need to do? I think that kind of difference is a lot less now. In fact, it doesn't really depend on what country people are from, I think it depends more on, on an individual company's culture. 
But in the 90s, early 90s, I ran into that kind of, let's say, mindset more often. And actually, could I follow up on that in the context of uh, Microsoft U.S. parent and Microsoft mm -hmm. Hungary? I remember once when I went into a McDonald's in Germany and they were serving beer, I was completely shocked because in the U.S. Mm -hmm. McDonald's don't serve beer. But then I realized, hey, we're in Germany and yep. you pretty much got to have beer on the menu. And so there was clearly an adjustment made for the local environment. So in that context, is Microsoft obviously ultimate parent in the U.S. kind of saying, well, we're an American company and this is sort of the American spirit that is put out there to the world? Or are there kind of cultural adjustments that are enabled, made for an individual country like Hungary? Well, Microsoft is really and truly a multinational company. So in the whole Central East European region, I know of only three Americans in that entire organization. I'm one of them. Everybody else on that whole Central East European team, they could be from Belgium, they could be from Kazakhstan, they could be from Russia, they could be from Hungary, Czech Republic, Latvia. There are only three Americans that I've met in that entire organization. So I would say the company's values may originate in the, in the American market, but, uh, but it really is truly a, a multinational culture. What did you find was your most valuable American quality which helped you in the most in Hungary and what did you learn from Hungarians? Well, Americans are stereotypically optimistic. It can be a kind of parody of itself. On the other hand, I think there's some truth in it. I think Americans are more optimistic and I think that kind of optimism is, is definitely one of those things that's, that's driven me. One of the things that I value in Hungarians is that uh, a lot of Hungarians I've met and worked with tend to be a little bit contrarian. So if there are 10 people in a room and nine people have the same opinion about something, the Hungarian in the room can just say, hang on a second, I don't think so. I really try to listen to a contrarian opinion and I value that in Hungarian colleagues. And I, I see that in Hungary among Hungarians, but I also see it in an international context as well. So. If you're in a room of 10 people and everybody else is another nationality, I will sometimes find myself looking to the Hungarian in the room saying, so what do you think? Expecting to hear something that's a little bit different from everybody else. And in terms of Microsoft Hungary, the structure, can you tell us a little bit about what the org chart looks like, the organizational chart? And then I'm interested in it in two levels. One is the people that would say, be right below you, what, what do you look for in those people? And then newly incoming people, say at a very junior level, maybe even right out of university, what are you looking for in those people? I'll start at the end of your question there. I think what I'm looking for is this curiosity, this desire to learn and this ability to learn. So a certain flexibility of mindset, you can't do without it because the way we do things this year may be quite different from the way we do things a year from now. So I do look for the ability to adjust and adapt, but I also look for the ability to take initiative. I think you know, people who have a desire to prove themselves and don't wait to be told what to do, I think that's not a very common trait. And when I see it, I notice it, and I really value that. As far as the organizational structure of Microsoft goes, it, it's not very complex. We're a pretty flat organization. You know, we're primarily a sales organization in Hungary, but sales 
for this kind of technology is not a simple matter. So we have technical salespeople, we have technical service people, and managing sales for larger, even smaller organizations involves a lot of people and a lot of different teams, and not just people on the ground in Hungary. You know, we may have only a couple of hundred people in Hungary, but we have thousands of people around us, and I really look for people who know how to make use of the resources that exist outside of Hungary, elsewhere in the Microsoft organization. So it's really a flexible organization uh, that we really try to adapt to a specific project. There's this phrase, I don't know if it's a cliche or not, that it's, it's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top. You are the general manager, the head of Microsoft Hungary, and you were the CEO of Magyar Telecom. Mm -hmm. Is it lonely at the top? Um, sometimes, yeah, because ultimately you have to take responsibility for things. And on a lot of questions, you can ask people you know, what needs to be done but they can't decide for you. And ultimately, you have to make the decision. So making that decision, having that responsibility, yeah, that, that can definitely feel lonely. And actually, it kind of has to be that way. Because if you spend all your time just asking people what to do and you know, sending emails around to 17 people to make sure that everybody approves of what you're doing before you do it, you may never get around to doing anything at all. So, you know, in order to take action, you have to stop the consulting, consultation with colleagues and peers. You have to do that, but you have to stop it. And you have to stop it, you know, reasonably soon or else you will never take action. So the job is almost by necessity. At some stage, it, it can indeed be lonely. You are a successful businessman, but if you could go back mm -hmm. in time, what would you advise to yourself? You mean to my younger self? Yes. When I was starting out, I would say, think bigger than you think you can think. The level of awareness I had at the age of, I don't know, 20, of what was going on and how big the opportunities there were around me. Looking back, I can see that there were many more and many bigger opportunities than I was aware of at the time. And I think I would just scream to myself at that time, saying, you know, find out more. You know, there are many, many opportunities than you think there are. Think big. I hear you on that, on a 20-year-old versus somebody who is more than, more than 20. Um, and <laughs> Considerably more than 20. <laughs> and Chris, this is the part of our podcast where we are going to ask you certain questions inspired by the French novelist Marcel Proust over 100 years ago. And these are the ways where you're going to delve into the true Chris, the true meaning of what it means to be Chris Mathiasen. And we look forward to your responses. And we will simply go down the list of questions, again, with Chris Mathiasen, the general manager of Microsoft Hungary. The first question, Chris, is, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Being on a desert island with my guitars and a couple of caipirinha drinks and, and kicking it. Our next question would be, what is the quality you most like in a person? Well, I look for a sense of humor. That's pretty important. What is your greatest extravagance? Probably my collection of guitars. There's a, something called the guitarist's prayer, which goes, 
Dear Lord, if I die, please don't let my wife sell my guitars for how much I said I paid for them. Well, and how do you keep yourself motivated? Learning, constant learning. All my life, that's been a big motivator for me. What do you consider your greatest achievement? I think turning around a big super tanker company like Mudra Telecom from where it was in 2006 to where it is today, or where it was when I left a couple of years ago, I'm pretty proud of that. Okay, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I would probably be a little bit more extroverted than I am. What is your most treasured possession? And I, I have a feeling from what you already said, I might know the answer. Uh, yeah, I have a custom-made pedal steel guitar that is definitely my most treasured possession. What, and not who, is the greatest love of your life? Music, definitely. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? I would come back as a rhinoceros. What is your most marked characteristic? I have my own dry sense of humor. What do you most value in your friends? Honesty and openness and directness. Who are your favorite writers? My favorite writer is probably W. Somerset Maugham. Who is your hero of fiction? Philip Marlowe from the Raymond Chandler novels. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Marcus Aurelius. What is your greatest regret? Oh, my greatest regret. There are so many that I didn't take piano lessons seriously when I was a kid. If you were to live somewhere else than where you currently live, where would you most like to live? I think Paris would be a, would be a pretty good second choice behind Budapest. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Arrogance. And our final question, which words or phrases do you most overuse? Well, there's one that I'm known for, uh, and that is back to the salt mines. Maybe I, I better take it easy with that one in the future. Chris, thank you so much for your responses to these Proust-inspired questions. I would like to thank my co-host and co-question asker today, Fanny Hoke. And most of all, I would really like to thank you, Chris Mathiasen, General Manager of Microsoft Hungary, for this fantastic discussion and series of episodes for our podcast, Corvinus Business Intelligence. We leave you today, as we always do, with these words of Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. <laughs>